If you've got your Bible with you this morning, I want you to go with me again to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we began looking at this last week. And uh, I honestly thought we would just take time last week and talk about what we did and then come back around to where we began early this year talking about free people. And the Lord really had us looking at the scriptures and specifically looking at his plan, his purpose, his will for us to live as free people. That's what the scripture says in the book of First uh, Peter chapter 2, I believe. We are to live as free people. And, and I don't believe we're done with that. But we started something last week. And the more I thought about it and prayed about it, I believe the Lord wants to continue on in our study of this scripture right here in the book of Romans chapter 12. So let's look here together. And we're going to look at the first two verses of this chapter. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed. Listen to this word. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to it again, verse two. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Of God. I want to give you four words to think about. And this is what we began talking about last week. We're going to spend some time with it uh, today in church. And as the Lord leads us, we may spend some more time on this in the weeks to come. But listen to these four words mind renovation, life transformation. Listen to them again mind renovation, life transformation. That's what this scripture is all about. When he said, don't be conformed to this world. Again, we talked about this, but that word conformed literally means he's saying, don't put something on the outside that doesn't look like what's going on on the inside. Don't don't allow this world to pressure you into conformity, into looking just like them and sounding just like them. And I'm telling you, if you didn't know it, the pressure is on. I believe there's probably more pressure on the church now than there's been in a long time to look and to sound and to act and more specifically to think like the rest of this world. But the scripture here is clear about it. Don't be conformed. Don't let it happen. But instead be what? Transformed. That word means to let the outward appearance, the outward condition, what's going on on the outside, let it be the result of what's going on on the inside. Let the inward condition produce the outward condition. That's what the word transform means. And he's talking to us about total life transformation. Transformation is is literally going from, from one shape to another, from one condition to another, and something or someone can be so radically transformed that they are unrecognizable compared to the way they used to be. 
depending on how far and how great the, the transformation process has gone, you can literally have a place that is unrecognizable from what it used to be. And one of the big reasons I believe the Lord's talking to us about this right now is this is what's going on in the very room that I am standing in. There is a transformation process at work right now in this room. When we bought this building and we showed up here almost a year ago and started work in this place, we came in and, and it was, well, I mean, I can show you some pictures of it. We walked in, it was an old gymnasium. There was a nasty blue floor that was coming up in places and water damage on the walls and on the floor. And, and, and it was just a rough place, but we had vision for it. We knew what we wanted it to be, but to get from where it was to what we want it to be, there's a transformation that has to take place. And again, we've already looked at this picture today, but when you see what this place will be, I mean, you take somebody who came into this room, I don't know, a few years ago, and then you put them in the room and what it's going to look like in a few weeks or a few months from now, it's going to be a total transformation and it will be unrecognizable from what it used to be. And I believe that's one of the big reasons the Lord's dealing with us about this right now is because what we have going on around us is really a vivid crystal clear picture of what is supposed to be going on inside of us. We're watching this transformation take place of this natural physical building, but the same thing is supposed to be going on in our hearts and in our minds. When he said this transformation happens, notice the way he said it happens. It comes by the renewing of the mind. Now that word renewing, if you look it up, it literally means renovation. Everybody say the word renovation. Say it. Renovation. You know what a renovation is, don't you? I mean, it's what's happening in here. It's, it's what happens when anybody tackles a project and they've got vision for what something could be, even if it's not anything close to it right now, even if it's some old place that's beat up and worn down, they got vision for what it can be, but to transform it, it's got to go through a renovation. And that's why I give you these four words, mind renovation, life transformation. In other words, the only way for our lives to be transformed into what God sees for us, what we have vision for our own lives to be, it comes one way, by the renovation and the remodeling of the way you think. Believe me, man, I wish it came just by laying hands on somebody or just praying a prayer or just fasting a meal. I mean, and all those things are good, but the scripture is very specific about how we arrive at this major life transformation. But if you're willing to go through the renovation process, then you can come to a place in your own life where you are unrecognizable compared to the way you used to live. People who knew you BC, right? Before you knew Jesus, before you let the word go to work in your life. Man, they come across you, they meet you and like, who is this guy? Who is this person? What got into you? Well, you can answer it first of all by saying, Jesus, the Holy Spirit got in here and began to change the way you think. Mind renovation is life transformation. And we can get excited about this verse right here because you, what you see as the promised result of going through that renovation of the way we think. 
the result we've already talked about, number one, is total life transformation. It's, it's, it's becoming, for lack of a better word, a new you, a brand new person. And that's why the scripture talks about being in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. That's a renovation. That's a remodel. That's a transformation. But the other thing you see here is the result of our minds being renewed, our minds being renovated is this, that we would prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As a believer, there ought to be one really big thing on your mind when it comes to what you do in this life and with this life. There should be one big thing on your mind and it's this, what is God's will? Didn't Jesus pray that? And he taught us to pray that way. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That ought to be the big thing on your mind and on mine. What is the will of God? Now, sadly, way too many believers, way too many Christians live this life either totally ignorant of the will of God or confused as to what it is. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But we don't have to live like that. As a matter of fact, you can live with a confidence and a knowing of what God's plan and His will is for your life here on this earth. You don't have to spend a single day of your life confused about what God wants done with you and in you and by you and through you. That's why Paul prayed. He said, I, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? To be so filled up with the knowledge of the will of God. Let me ask you this. If you are full of that, how much room is there in you for anything else? None. Why? Because you're full of the knowledge of his will. And if there's nothing else in there, then there's no confusion about it. You know what he wants done. You know when he wants it done. You know how he wants it done. But to come to that place where you are so confident of the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, it requires the renovation of the mind. Mind renovation, life transformation. And that is what this scripture is about. And we talked uh, last Sunday about the fact that you and I, all of us, just like this building right now, we're all under construction. And that's why I have no problem coming to you from this sanctuary, even in the shape that it's in right now, even with concrete floors and plastered drywall and, and air conditioning ducts that don't actually connect all over the room. We got to probably work on that. But I, I have no problem with coming to you in the middle of this right now because I recognize, hey, we're under construction. And this is nothing to be ashamed of. Actually, this is very exciting because this is proof of progress. We're under construction and we're headed somewhere. Come on, church, listen to me. We're headed somewhere. And we talked about a number of things that we have learned, just naturally speaking, through this construction process and the things we've learned about the nature of building and remodeling and renovating and what goes along with it. And there are some things that you can see naturally that go along with this process. 
But we need to recognize the parallels to what has to take place in the spirit and in your soul, because that's where your mind is. We, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. That is you. You are a three-piece puzzle. You're nowhere nearly as complex as you thought you were. You are a three-piece puzzle, spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. And this scripture we're looking at in Romans 12 is a revelation, or it should, have, it should be, to the significance of the soul. You can't forget about the soul. You can't neglect the soul. Sometimes I think, especially those of us who are so determined to live by faith and walk by faith and, and make the word of God first priority in our lives and we live out of our spirit, sometimes I think we, we tend to forget the soul. But that's like forgetting a whole third of who you are. Don't ignore the soul. Don't neglect it, but just put it in its right place. And he said here that the mind, that's where you're, that's, that's, uh, the, the, the mind is connected to the soul. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's the part of us that needs renovation. That's the part of us that has to go through this remodel process. And I'll tell you again, we're all under construction. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. Why? Because you're headed somewhere, praise God. And even if the condition you're in, you don't like it, you're not a fan, listen to me, get your eyes off of what is and onto what will be. And that's where you let the Word of God and the Spirit of God in you create an image of what He's called you to do, what He's called you to be. And I'm gonna tell you something, you may be surprised to hear this, but it looks a lot like Jesus. That's what the Spirit of God is in you to do to paint a picture of Jesus. And like we looked at last week in the book of 3 John, I believe it, or 1 John chapter 3, it says, when we see him, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. But we looked at a number of these uh, things that go along with the construction process. And when you're honest about it, it's, it's a big part of the reason people don't like tackling projects like this. The first thing we saw about being under construction is it's expensive. And Sarah and I have learned that in a very real way. Now, glory to God, he's providing for the whole thing. And it's been miraculous and God has been so faithful. But it doesn't change the fact that it costs a lot to put a place like this under construction. And that's a big part of the reason people don't want to do it. Because they can't see past what they have over into what they could produce what they could have. In other words, they're willing, unwilling to, to let go of what they've got for the sake of what they could have. And people do that financially. I don't want to get into a project like that. It costs too much. I like having money. Well, Sarah and I have come to the place where we're actually excited to see that whole buy up and build out project fund. Man, empty that thing out because we realize that it's no good holding on to that because if that is full, then this place is not finished and it's empty. But when that account is empty, this place is full and it's finished. See, it's a change in the way you think. But just the way a natural project like this is expensive, the renovation of the mind, 
there's cost associated with that too. And we looked at it from the scripture, but Paul said it like this in Philippians 3, all those things that made him who he was, being a Hebrew among Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, of, of, of a, according to the law, perfect. I mean, he listed some pretty hefty stuff there, but he said, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And if you go back and look at all those things, they all had to do with making you look good in the eyes of somebody else. And part of the reason people are unwilling to go through this renovation and remodel process is because it will most likely cost them the opinions of other people. But Paul said, I don't care what other people think about me. All I care about is knowing Jesus and what he thinks of me. And yeah, it may be expensive, but there is no price too high. It's like paying for this building. I would, I'll say it to you again, I'll gladly spend and be spent for the sake of people being in this place and knowing Jesus. So being under construction is expensive. We saw how being under construction takes longer than you want it to, takes longer than you thought it would. But through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. If the scripture says we need endurance, then that's what we need. But it pays off so big. We also saw from our study last Sunday how being under construction is expensive. It takes more time than you want it to. And it requires you being open to making changes. More specifically, corrections. Being open to correction. And this is a big part of the reason people don't want to go through the renovation of the mind process. But if you're unwilling to renovate in the mind, you will never experience life transformation. Without mind renovation, there is no life transformation. But if you're open to correction and you get to the place where you love it because you realize, hey, God only corrects me because he loves me, then he can get some work done in you and he can get work done through you. So we looked at a number of these things if you missed last week's service, it's available to you. It's online here, or you can get it from the Legacy Church podcast as well. But I want to go on in this today and continue talking about this remodel process, this renovation process. And I got to thinking about it, and I believe the Lord spoke something interesting and unique to me about it. You know, if you think about what it takes to go through um, a, a renovation like we're talking about the renovation of an old home or a building like this one, there is a phase of the process that comes early on. And honestly, it's, I think it's probably most people's favorite part of the whole renovation process. If you've ever been a part of anything like that, I, I, I would say, I would dare say it's probably one of the more fun, one of somebody's most favorite parts of the whole process. And you know what it is? It's demo day. It's demo day. People like demo day. Why? Because it actually doesn't take a whole lot of skill. If you can swing a hammer, you can have some fun on demo day. And what demo day, demolition day is all about is it's all about going into that old place and ripping out everything that's not going to be in the new place. It's, it's about ripping out everything that doesn't belong there. It's about tearing down walls. It's about ripping out stuff that's either just old and outdated or maybe by this time it's not safe anymore. It shouldn't be in there. I know when Sarah and I, we first moved up here uh, to uh, the Woodland Park area, 
The Lord so blessed us and we found a great house. It's an awesome miracle story. But it was an older home, beautiful home. I mean, we really, really like this place. But as we walked through it, uh, we saw some things that needed to be changed, some things that needed to be ripped out. It's, a, it's an older home. I mean, it's older than I am. I think it was built in the early 70s. Um, no offense to you who are from the early 70s, but that for a home, that's, that's a little bit. So, you know, there were some things Sarah... Um, wanted to have done in the home. Now, some places in the home needed like a fresh coat of paint on the wall. No big deal, right? But other rooms in the house needed some, some pretty heavy lifting, some pretty extensive renovation. Um, for example, evidently in the early 70s, it was cool to have an avocado green bathtub. People were into that then. Not so much anymore. Well, at least let me speak for my wife. She's not into that. So there were bathrooms that needed renovation. There were bedrooms that needed renovation. And what happened was we got a crew in there, right? And people started ripping stuff out. Why? Because it's not going to be a part of the, the transformation. There's a transformation that has to take place and this stuff's not going to be in the end result. And so you got to have a demo day. Well, the same thing has to happen in your mind. The same thing has to happen in your thoughts. The renewing, the remodeling, the renovation of the mind, everybody's got to have a demo day. In other words, there are thought processes and thoughts that you've held onto and they don't belong in there. They won't support what's getting ready to go in there and maybe they're just outdated or maybe they're just not safe anymore. Maybe these are things that need to be ripped out for the sake of your own life and your own health and well-being, but you got to be willing to have a demo day. So I'm declaring today, this Sunday morning, hey, it's demo day at Legacy Church. Are you willing to go through demo day with me and, and get in there and rip out some ways of thinking, even if there are things you've held on to for a long time. If you see that, that the transformation requires you to get rid of some stuff, are you willing to rip it out? Are you willing to tear down some walls? Because that's what we're gonna do today. And uh, I wanna show this to you from a number of places in scripture. Now, you know, we could, and, and it would be worth it to do this. We can't do it in a, in a context like this, but it would be worth it to do what the scripture says. And that is to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Take every thought captive. And, and when we're talking about the renovation of your mind, what we need to understand is you have a lot more control over what you think than maybe you realize you had. Your mind is your mind. And you can think on whatever you choose to think on. The scripture tells us, we were in Romans 12, but uh, back up just a little bit to chapter eight, and it will tell you that to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. Now, these are the only two options, to be spiritually minded or to be carnally minded. 
And you can see the, the, the difference is literally life or death. What you set your mind on, what you allow yourself to think can be the difference between life and death. And these are the only two options, spiritually minded, carnally minded. And it would be good to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. But you and I can't stand here like this in this service and go over every single thought you ever have and identify whether or not it's, it's a good one or a bad one, if it needs to be ripped out or if it can stay. But here's what I want you to do today. This is gonna simplify this demo day and the renovation process. If you will realize that every single thought can be put into one of two categories. One of two buckets. That's all there is. That's the only option. You can put every thought you have into one of these two buckets. And the first bucket is the truth. The second bucket is a lie. Every thought you have fits into one of those two categories, the truth or a lie. Now, you can take just a, a surface look at the scriptures and it wouldn't take you long to figure out in a hurry how God feels about lies, lying. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs, we won't take time to turn there. Maybe we can put this on the screen for you. But in chapter six of the book of Proverbs, it gives you a list of things God hates. It says these six things God hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. That's, that's a big word. That's a heavy word. God hates these things. They're an abomination to him. He can have nothing to do with them. That's what that means. If you look back through that list of things, one of them on the list is a lying tongue. And you skip down the list just a little bit and it's not a long list. It's seven things. I mean, if you made a list of the stuff you hate and what's an abomination to you, it might go on and on and on. But God's list is actually kind of short. But on that list is a lying tongue. And then just a few numbers down from that is a false witness, somebody who tells lies. So out of the seven things God hates, two of them are lying that's how strongly he feels about this. Now, why does God hate lying? He hates it because of what it does. Because of what it does to you and because of what it does to your fellowship and your relationship with him. Lying, well, let me say it to you like this. We live in a world full of fake we live in a world so saturated with fakeness and pretense and put on. And the thing is, we buy into it. As a culture, we buy into it. We are getting sold on stuff all the time. And it's why the movie industry, the entertainment industry is this multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry because we love to feed on fantasy. We love to feed on stuff that's not real, that's fake. And even the true stories that are told are just based on them and sometimes pretty loosely. 
we buy into the fake and we're so saturated by it that it's become difficult for many, many people to draw the line and to tell the difference between what's real, what's fake, what's true, what's a lie. And it takes a conscious effort to believe the truth in the world that we live in right now. And God hates lying. He hates falseness. He hates fakeness. He hates pretense. Why? Because there's none of it in him. There is nothing false in him. There's nothing fake in him. He is truth. And there can be, there can be none of it in us if we're going to have full fellowship with him. He hates lying because of what it does. Lying and this falseness and fakeness literally builds a wall between you and him. Think about that. Now this is demo day. So we're going to rip this wall down. This wall's coming out today. But you got to recognize why God can have nothing to do with, let me give you this word, hypocrisy. Jesus said it. Let's look at it together in the book of Matthew chapter 15. If you look through the Gospels, Jesus, he, uh, he was fairly confrontational. He didn't back off when it came to certain things and, and more specifically certain people. Um, and here in the book of Matthew chapter 15, you see it in other places, in the book of Matthew especially, in other places as well. But Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, these people who claim to know God. But he says to them in verse seven, hypocrites. Man, he just said it, didn't he? Just called them hypocrites. That word hypocrite, if you look it up, it literally means an actor, a pretender. It's the word they would use for somebody who would stand on a stage and play a role rehearse and recite a script. So in other words, it's not who they, actually, who they actually are. They're pretending to be something they're not. It's the word for an actor. And that's the word Jesus used to describe these so-called religious people. He says, you're an actor. You're faking it. You're pretending. He said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But listen to this, but their heart is far from me. Listen to it again. These people draw near, how? With their mouth, with their lips. But where's the heart? He said the heart is in some other town. The heart is someplace far away from here. They draw near in their words, but their heart is somewhere else. And he said, that is a hypocrite. That's hypocrisy. So you, you can actually figure out, now remember, we're all under construction. 
All of us, every one of us, you, me, all of us, we're all under construction. And we can actually identify how much of this junk is in our life. You can figure out how much hypocrisy is in your life just by measuring the distance between your lips and your heart, between your mouth and your heart. Now, of course, I'm not talking about the physical distance between your physical mouth and this blood pump in your chest. I'm talking about the distance between the words that are coming out of your mouth and what's actually going on in the heart. If you know anything about God, you know this. This is where he's looking. He's looking at what goes on in the heart. And hypocrisy is this distance between what's in the heart and what's coming out of the mouth. It's lying. It's falseness, it's fakeness, and God can't have anything to do with it. But if you want closeness with Him, then you need to understand and realize that closeness is limited by fakeness. Let me say it to you again. Closeness, your closeness with God is only limited by however much of this fakeness there is. In other words, if you want intimacy, there must be honesty. If you want intimacy with him, like he wants it with you, there's got to be honesty. There's got to be truth. And there are people that would say, well, it's not. The thing that creates a wall between you and God is sin. No. Sin does not create a wall between you. Jesus tore that wall down. What creates a wall? Sin can't do it. Sin can't put a wall between you and God if you'll be honest about it. If you'll be honest and say, God, uh, I sinned. I missed it. And and I confess it. I say the same thing about this thing that you say. And and I'm calling it what it is. Man, I messed this up. I, I, I blew it again. And I did it again. And I did it again. And I'm coming before you just to acknowledge it and to receive your mercy and your forgiveness. And I want to thank you for it. Sin is not a wall between you and God. What will be a wall between you and Him is acting like that sin's not there. Pretending like it doesn't exist. Jesus talked about this in the book of Luke. He said, two two men came to pray. One, a Pharisee, one, a tax collector. And this religious person said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Actually, Jesus said he prayed thus with himself. In other words, nobody's listening to this, including God. And he said, I thank you I'm not like other men. He said, I... Uh, I, I tithe and I fast. And he goes on this whole little list of all these great things about him. But then right on the other hand, you've got this tax collector, this sinner, who Jesus said just came before God with humility and honesty and just said, I'm a sinner. I have missed it. I have, I have sinned. And Jesus said, one of those men got something from God. And the other did not. That pretense and that fakeness is like a wall between us. But it's demo day. Oh, come on, church. Listen to me. It's demo day. That wall is coming down. You want intimacy? It requires honesty. I want to show you this. 
again from the ministry of Jesus. Go with me to the book of John chapter 8. We looked at this scripture together all the way back in January when we were talking in our series about free people. And we were looking specifically at God's desire to set us free from condemnation. And you see that's exactly what happened here in the book of John chapter 8. In the first 11 verses, Jesus was early in the morning teaching in the temple and some of these pretenders, some of these hypocrites, the Pharisees, the scribes, the different ones, they showed up and they had a woman that they brought with them, one they said they had caught in adultery. Now again, Jesus did not have great things to say about these guys. In the book of Matthew, it's the 23rd chapter, he says to them over and over, face to face, just says it right to their face, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And he says it over and over, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you actors, you pretenders, you people playing a role, trying to convince other people of something you are, but you aren't. And he kept using that little word, whoa, 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 W-O-E. And it's a little word, but it's got a huge meaning. And you look it up and it, it literally means destruction, calamity. In other words, Jesus is saying, this does not turn out good for you. You're going to continue to live this lie, this hypocrisy where you're saying something with your words, but something else is going on in your heart. And I was thinking back on a song I used to listen to that came out, I think, in the late 90s where the, the artist said, you must be an acrobat to talk like this and act like that. I thought that was a great line. You must be an acrobat to talk like this and act like that. And sometimes it, it requires such contortion and twisting and bending. When you think about the words that are coming out of somebody's mouth, but what's actually going on in the heart. And Jesus, you see it. You see it as a revelation of the heart of the Father Himself. He hates lying. He hates fakeness, falseness, and pretense. And there's none of it in Him. He is the truth. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And these same guys, these same actors had brought this woman, threw her down in the middle of Jesus' teaching and said, we caught her in the act of adultery and Moses says she's supposed to be stoned. What do you say? And this whole thing was a trap. This this goes to prove their hypocrisy. This is not about the law. This is about trying to trap Jesus. This is about trying to shame him and end his ministry. But instead of bowing and conforming to the pressure, Jesus just kneels down, waits for the wisdom of God, waits for the word of God, waits for the witness of the Spirit. The exact same thing you and I are supposed to do when the pressure is on. Wait. That goes back to being patient. Wait till you have a word from God. Wait till you've got the witness of the Spirit of God in you. Wait till you can answer with the wisdom of God. And that's what Jesus did. And you know, he stood up and said, he who is among you without sin, let him throw the first stone. And so those guys turned around and walked away because there was no way they could do that. That would just prove what hypocrites they are. And Jesus said to that woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? 
And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now, I'm going to get ahead of myself here just a little bit because we're about to see this in Scripture. But what we saw just happen was we saw this woman go free and what set her free was the truth. And that's what truth does. Truth liberates. See, now we're all the way back around to free people. This woman's going free from condemnation, but what set her free was the truth that the only one that could condemn her chose instead to justify her. Now, he didn't say what she did was right or that she should go do it again. As a matter of fact, he said, go and sin no more. But with him saying that came the power to actually obey it, being set free by the truth. But then what happened in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. See, light and truth go together. See, in darkness, things hide, things are concealed, but in light, things are exposed. There's no hiding. Light and truth go together the way lies and darkness go together. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees, verse 13, therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So what we're about to see over the course of these next few verses is it gets very intense. There's a very heated debate and argument, but all of it is over the truth. What's true? And they said, your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I came from and where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. Do you see that there on the screen? My judgment is true. So all this is about the truth. He said, my judgment is Is true for I'm not alone, but I'm with the Father who sent me. It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Now see, he's preaching, he's talking, but it's not getting in. There are generations, decades, centuries even of ways of thinking locked into their mind and these walls aren't yet coming down. It says these words, verse 20, Jesus spoke to them in the treasuries. He taught in the temple and no one laid hands on him. His hour had not yet come. He kept talking to him, kept talking to him. And you could see it through the course of this, this conversation. They weren't getting it. They weren't understanding it. It wasn't sinking in. He said, I'm going away. Verse 21, you'll seek me. I'll die. Uh, uh, you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. They said in verse 22, is he going to kill himself? They're just not getting it. When he talked about the father, they said, who's your father? Who's your daddy? Jesus. They're not getting it. It's, they're not understanding. Verse 25, they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say to you and judge concerning you, but he who sent me is, say it out loud with me, church, true, true. Here's what you've got to remember. The truth is always on God's side. 
The truth is always on God's side. And that's where you want to be. Always. And it doesn't change because He doesn't change. He said in verse 26, I have many things to say to you and to judge concerning you, but He who sent me is true and I speak to the world those things which I heard from Him. They said, or It says in verse 27, they did not understand that He spoke to them of the Father. He said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. Now I want you to notice what happened in verse 30. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Now wait a second. This group of people he was talking to, they were fighting him. They were pressing back against him. Who is your father? Where are you from? Is he going to kill himself? What's this guy talking about? But the more he talked and the more he talked and the more he talked, the scripture says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. What I want you to see is the effect that the truth can have. The more he talked, the more he spoke the truth, the more he identified with the truth, the more these walls began to fall in their thinking and they began to believe. All of a sudden, those who just moments ago, they didn't know about him, they didn't know who he was. All of a sudden now, now they're going, okay, wait a second. I I believe this. I believe what he's saying is true. They didn't any more understand it now than they did half an hour ago, but the truth was working in them and many believed. Now it's important to note there that many, not all, believed. So people can hear the truth, but not everybody's going to respond to it. Not everybody's going to believe it, even in Jesus' own ministry. So it says in verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, You are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And we quote that verse a lot. You'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. You'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. What will the truth do? The truth will set you free. But it was, what Jesus said before that was, if you continue in my word. See, knowing the truth only comes from knowing the word. Because the Word of God is the truth. There's nothing fake. There's nothing false in it because there's nothing fake. There's nothing false in Him. He cannot lie. And if you want intimacy with Him, it requires honesty. It requires possessing that same same character. And I'll tell you this. If you are willing to tell a lie, you'll be quick to believe a lie. If you'll tell lies, then you'll believe lies. You will be easily fooled. You'll be fooled by the fakeness, by the falseness around us. And then if you are fooled by it, if you buy into it, it won't be long. You'll be conformed to it. You'll look just like the rest of this world. You'll sound just like the rest of this world. And there'll be no difference between you and them. But there's supposed to be a difference. And the difference is the difference between truth and a lie. 
If you're willing to tell a lie, you'll be quick to believe a lie. You'll be easily fooled. But if you just continue in the word of God. Now, Jesus is speaking to the ones that believe on him. He's talking to a big crowd and not everybody believes, but now he's talking specifically to the ones who believe. He says, okay, you believe, that's good. Stay with it. Stick with this. Just stay with it and get up every day and stay with the word and get the word in your heart and get the word going in your ears. Get the word going into your mind because the truth will rip down walls. The truth will renovate and will rip out lies and everything that has to take place in this demo day. When we rip out stuff that doesn't belong, we rip out stuff that can't support the new structure going in. We rip out things and demolish things that are killing us. You get rid of that so that life can go into you. This is demo day. And Jesus said, if you continue in the word, that's when you know the truth. And that's when the truth will set you free. But then they answered and said, hey, listen, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? See, these people thought they were free just because of their nationality and where they were from. That's like many, many people in our own country. In the United States of America, they believe they're Christian because they're Americans. But that's not what makes you a Christian. Being born in this nation and even being born in a free nation is not what makes you a free person. Not free on the inside. It's the truth and only the truth that can set you free. They said, we're, hey, listen, how can you say you'll be made free? We've never been in bondage. And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house, of, in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And he talked to them about being Abraham's descendants. And he said, listen, if you were really from Abraham, you would receive me. You would hear me. But he said to him in verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen or to receive my word. And his word is truth. So it doesn't, it didn't make sense to them what he was saying because they couldn't hear the truth. There's one of two responses to the truth. It either excites you or it makes you mad. And Jesus said, take heed how you hear. In other words, when you hear the truth, you need to pay attention to what it does to you. Because even if the truth comes to you and it uncovers and the light comes on and exposes some things specifically in the way you think, and some thought processes and some mindsets that have been in place for a long time. If the light comes on and you see the truth and it shows you this is old, this is wrong, this is rotten, and it's time to get rid of it, the right response to that is excitement. The right response to that is joy because you see on the other side of that mind renovation is life transformation, but it's gonna require some demolition. So that's one response. But the other response is people get mad. How dare you tell me what to think? You can't tell me what to believe. I live my own truth. And that's the response that these Pharisees, these scribes, 
these hypocrites were giving Jesus. They got so mad at the truth, so angry at the truth, they wanted to kill him. And Jesus said in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the, desire, the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. See, just like there's no falseness, no fakeness, no lies in God, there is no truth in the devil. He's nothing but fake. He's nothing but wicked and twisted. And he wants you to believe lies. That's all he can do is feed you lies. That's what he's been doing from the very beginning. That's what he did in the garden was to lie to Adam and Eve about the nature of God to get you to believe a lie. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, Jesus said, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. And these are stout words. And like I told you, they got so mad at him. They got so mad about this. They tried in that moment to kill him. Why? Because he spoke the truth. Truth either makes you rejoice or it makes you mad. And you need to pay attention to how you're responding to the truth. And we talked last week and I made reference again to it this morning. But being under construction requires being open to correction, being open and ready to make some changes. And when you're confronted with the truth, when you're confronted and the truth comes to you in the, by the way of correcting you, correcting the way you think, correcting what's coming out of your mouth, correcting the way you live, you let the Word of God do that. Be, be very watchful over how you respond to that because the only right response to the truth is joy. It's to say, thank you, Lord. I receive that. I receive your word as truth. Because if you get mad and you reject it, you will stay exactly how you are. There will be no change. There will be no transformation. You'll stay in that same shape you are right now. It'd be like this room, just staying like this forever. This room does nobody any good in this condition. But if we'll just stay with the renovation process very soon, it'll be a great service to the people who will come to church here. Well, the same thing's true about you. The same thing's true about me. There are mindsets and thoughts and ways of thinking that as long as we hold on to them, we are of no good to God or anybody else. And if you get mad when you hear the truth, no, this is, I, this is how I think. This is the way I've always thought. This is the way I've always lived. How dare you tell me how to live? Listen, you, you better get over that right now. You got to deal with that right now. This, this whole book is about telling you how to live. This whole book is an invasion of your privacy. So deal with it. And when the truth comes to you, rejoice over it. Get excited about it. 
even if it starts tearing down walls, even if it starts ripping out old ways of thinking, even if it has to rip out some lies that you believed about God, let the truth go to work. Let the truth go to work. You want intimacy with Him? It requires honesty from you. My pastor said it like this, God will meet you where you are, but not where you pretend to be. There can be no hypocrisy. And I know people, that's the big excuse why people don't go to church. Oh, it's just a bunch of hypocrites over there. That's all they are is a bunch of hypocrites. Well, first of all, that's not true. We're not all just a bunch of hypocrites. But let's say we were. Let's say everybody who ever came to church was a hypocrite. That is no excuse for you not having right fellowship and relationship with God. What's going on in somebody else's heart is no excuse for what's going on in yours. It's it's not being honest with God. Be honest with Him. Hey, if you're a sinner, call it. Say it. God, I sinned. I did it again. He can do more with that than some righteous appearing person who's got the look down real good. God can use somebody who'll be honest with Him. Somebody who not just believes in Jesus, but will continue in His Word and let the Word of truth go to work inside them in this renovation process. This is the last scripture I'll give you and we'll be done for this morning. But in, uh, go with me to 3 John. We quote this verse a lot, but I want you to hear it again. In verse one, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. He said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, this is what we talked about. This is where your mind is. It's in your soul. And he's saying, he's writing to this individual and saying, your soul is prospering. Just right here at the beginning of this letter, he says, I pray that you would prosper in every area of your life the exact same way you're prospering in your mind, the same way you are prospering and you are healthy in your soul. Now, if you keep reading, you find out how his soul got into that kind of shape. He said, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Man, there's so much revelation in this. Listen to this. He's saying your soul is in great shape. And I pray that that what's going on in you begins to overflow and come out of you, that you would prosper in every area of your life the same way you are prospering in your soul. That's being transformed. That's being turned into a new you. That's going through this renovation process, the renovation of the mind, so that you can have life transformation. And that's what he's saying happened in this person he's writing to. He said, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and they testified to me of you. In other words, somebody came and told him he got the truth in him. He heard the truth. 
He rejoiced when he heard it. He let the truth get in him. He let the truth work in him. He let the truth produce something in him. And John wrote and said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. That's exactly what Jesus said. Continue in my word. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. It's reno day. Excuse me. It's demo day here at Legacy Church. We're ripping out lies and we're replacing them with the truth. And like I told you, if you can swing a hammer, you can have some fun on demo day. Well, here's your hammer right here. If you will just keep hacking away at lies, let the Spirit of God in you help you identify where you've believed a lie. And the Word of God will be like a hammer in your hand that will rip down walls those things that have existed between you and God and have kept you at at a distance from Him, the only thing that can be a wall between you and Him is dishonesty, is fakeness. You want intimacy with Him? It requires honesty from you. And the only limit to our closeness with our Father is any fakeness we allow to remain in us. I'm saying today that the truth is in us and we are walking in it. Make the decision this morning that you are unwilling to tell a lie. Because if you'll be unwilling to tell a lie, then you won't be easily fooled and you won't believe a lie. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray over this congregation this morning. All of us who are under construction, Lord, we thank you for the good work you've begun. We call you faithful to finish it, to carry us all the way through this construction process. We thank you, Lord, for the renovation that's taking place right now in our thinking. And we want you to know, Father, we are wide open to you. Actually, just say it out loud right now where you are. Just say, I'm open to you, Lord. I open my heart to you. I open my mind to you. If I've believed a lie, show it to me. If I've believed a lie about you, God, show it to me. And I want to believe the truth. If I've believed a lie about myself, show it to me and replace it with the truth. And now pray this, say say the same thing that David said in the Psalms. He said, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. I'm gonna tell you something, church, when your heart and your mouth get in the same place and there's no distance between them and there's no hypocrisy, There's power. There's so much power in a heart and a mouth in the same place that if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's how much power there is in this. That's honesty. I believe it in my heart. I say it with my mouth. Well, I believe you received something good from this today. God is so faithful to us and he's faithful to his word to watch over it and perform it in your life. Get the truth in you. You can't do that just by listening to a message every Sunday, every couple of Sundays or so. You got to get the truth in you. Continue in the word. I know many of you, you're believers in Jesus. That's a good thing. But Jesus would say the same thing to you that he said to these people that day. Continue in my word. Stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. Get his words going in your eyes, in your ears, down into your heart. And then let those words come up out of your mouth and rejoice when you see and hear the truth. 
thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.